0: It's a joy to be with you um, this day, this very special day of Holy Week, and um, I want to be able to share with you uh, what I think is a beautiful, um, very meaningful uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, it's it's taken from, we're going to be looking at Psalm, one, excuse me, Psalm 41 uh, as we consider our uh, our our Good Friday um, meditation or devotion, and as we enter into Psalm one, uh, Psalm forty one, I want to do so by talking about a movie um, that came out in two thousand five. It was a movie that came out of South Africa. It's a foreign film. In fact, in two thousand five, it won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film. It's about a South African teenage boy, teenager uh, growing up in the slums of johannesburg and uh he grows up in the slums as a hardened criminal uh ruthless heartless and one night he he wanders or wa- excuse me he wanders out of the slum into a suburban neighborhood and uh in that neighborhood there he, he comes across happens upon a car it's pulling in to the driveway or to a driveway and uh, when the driver who's a young woman when she gets out she, she leaves the car running, and that's when he he sees his opportunity. And as she jumps out, he pulls his gun, jumps into the car, and begins to drive away. Now, the young woman is the driver. She was is undeterred and screaming. She runs to the passenger side of the car and opens the door, and with a look of just Frantic expression, or really desperation, on her face. She pleads with the team, and in, 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 in a very cold, in a very cold-blooded way, uh, he grabs his gun, and and he shoots her. He shuts the door and he zooms off. Uh, only moments later, as he's driving, only moments later does he hear something from the back seat of the car. The gurgling of a three-month-old baby boy, and I won't—I won't spoil the rest of the film for you. But what follows, what follows—in fact, the reason that the 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 movie was was uh, received the Oscar for best foreign film—what follows is amazingly filled. Is a story filled with both a a brutal realism. I mean, this is truly, it's an amazing film in the sense that it is, it is so realistic. It is, there's a brutal real, realism to it, and yet there is also a breathtaking redemption. It is an amazing, an amazing movie. Somehow, in, in, in the story that follows, somehow a helpless baby begins to awaken within this hardened Heartless young criminal, a humanity, and even a hope. Now, i think about that for a second. How is it that, a, that someone, that one so helpless, could help someone so heartless? How is it that such frailty can encounter such brutality and awaken such amazing humanity and beauty? And even responsibility, this young teenage thug is confronted with this this little helpless baby. And what follows is something truly amazing as this young man begins to think back to his own life to the, the way that he was raised, to a mom that he lost uh, as, uh, as a young, as a very little boy to AIDS, as a father who was abusive and begins to realize that perhaps this child could be raised differently than he was raised, raised better than he had been raised. And this question of how can one so helpless help someone so heartless, this in some sense, this is the question taken up by Psalm 41. It's a psalm written by David, a psalm recited by Jesus on the night of his betrayal. The psalm, listen to this, the psalm contends that it's among the weak that one finds true wealth and true worth. It's among the broken, it's among the burdened, it's among the bullied that we find blessing. Now, just as in the film, it was it was most fortunate for this young felon to find one so frail and feeble. So also Psalm 41, I'm sorry, yeah, Psalm 41 and and Good Friday, they show us, listen to this, they show us that our greatest fortune is found in befriending and in fellowship with those who are most frail and feeble. And even with one, the one who was most forsaken. The film, if you, by the way, the film, if you want to watch it, it's called Sotsi. Sotsi, T-S-O-T-S-I, Sotsi. It's, and, and Sotsi is South African for, for thug or for criminal. And, and I would have to say, given its content, it is, uh, given the context of uh, a slum in Johannesburg and, and all of that, the context is probably it's a film uh, best for, for adults uh, but, let's read this psalm together. this is psalm forty one and let's let see let's see what David has in store for us uh, today on this Good Friday. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He that is the Lord does not give them over to the desire of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. Verse 4, David says, I said, or I had said before, have mercy on me, O Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, a vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend Someone I trusted, one who shares my bread, has turned against me. The Hebrew literally says, has lifted his heel. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy, my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. And then with verse 13, we have a final uh, conclusion to the, the first section of, of the Psalter. It says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the riches of your word. We thank you for Holy Week. We thank you for Good Friday. And we ask that you would speak to us, that you would humble our hearts. Meet us now, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, Father, would you feed us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as you might just notice, Psalm 41, if you've got it in front of you, Psalm 41 is the last psalm in the first section or the first book of, of the psalms. And interestingly, both the first psalm, that is Psalm 1, and the last psalm of, of this section, that's the psalm that we just read, Psalm 41, they both begin with the word blessed. It's very interesting. It's like whoever was editing or compiling this, the psalms wanted the, this section to, be, to begin and end with the idea of blessing. And here, blessing stands for the idea of good fortune, It stands for flourishing. To say blessed is the one who does this is to say fortunate, or it will go well for fortunate is the one who does this. Psalm one says that flourishing or good fortune are found in focusing or meditating upon the word, upon the word of God. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Isn't that a beautiful? So again, it's claiming this, this very simple idea that, that it, blessing, flourishing, good fortune are found among those who are willing to do what? Who are willing to meditate on or focus on the word of God. Now Psalm 41, by contrast, is actually teaching us so, uh, not, not by contrast, but in, in really in complement to that, is saying this. Flourishing is found not only in focusing and meditating on God's word. Flourishing is found on focusing and meditating upon the weak. Not just the word, but the weak. Look at the first half of verse 1. Blessed or fortunate are those who have regard for the weak, that is to say, fortunate is the one who's for the frail. Fortunate is the one who's for the frail, the feeble, the forgotten. That is to say, says David, flourishing and good fortune are found in focusing on the frail. And what's what's truly amazing. And this is this is really amazing. What's truly amazing is that David isn't just saying, "Look, be for the weak. You know, um, serve serve them, care for them." He's saying, focus study focus and learn from the weak consider them why 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 does he say that because he says the weak listen to this the weak have something to teach us interesting isn't that it's not exactly what we often think i don't know about you but for me, that's that's not obvious at all. In fact, I, I, I usually want to befriend the capable, the calm, the cool, the collected. Mm-hmm. I want to hang with the successful. I want to hang with the, those who are certain. In fact, I want to hang with the superheroes. Right? Who among us doesn't want to be an Avenger? We want to be among those who are strong, capable. But here, David, King David, himself an influencer, himself someone of... of of means and opportunity and resources, King David is saying to me and to us all, "Uh, not really. I know why you might think that it's best to hang with the superheroes. But he says, I've got good news, you're wrong. He says, it's actually better to be among the zeros rather than the heroes. Now, in truth, as a minister, I'll say that just by God's grace. It's probably what I love about ministry the most. It's this very simple idea. I love to be in the trenches with those who are struggling, with those who are suffering, with those who are weak. Why? Well, in in part, in part, it's because I, I wanna help them in some way. But there are actually two other reasons that are even more profound and more motivating. First, It's when I'm among the hurting, when I'm among those who are struggling, that I grow. I grow. There's so much to learn when we crawl under the rock with people who are weak and struggling. And there's there's actually such good there. There's growth. Second, and even more important, second, when we actually consider the weak, when we actually are for the weak, when we actually are in fellowship and befriend the weak, listen to this we get to see God at work. You get to see God at work and you discover something truly amazing that God helps those who can't help themselves. And to learn that is amazing because there will, there will be, if not now, there will be times when we cannot help ourselves. And we were among the weak when we are among the weak it moves us, it changes us, we grow and we see God at work and we discover that he is a God who cares for those who cannot care for themselves. I, I, I can give you story after story, example of exa- after example of persons who in weakness have been used in great ways to to grow others. In fact, I think of a, of a family that my wife and I stayed with when we were... Um, on our way to seminary, actually. We stayed there, we were doing an internship, and he was a doctor, and he, uh, he was a phenomenal doctor, ear, nose, and throat doctor, and I, I'll never forget him talking about how his bedside manner, his compassion, his tenderness as a doctor, as a husband, as a father, came from growing up with a sister, an older sister that he had, who was, uh, who was severely uh, disabled uh, mentally. She had the, 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 probably the social development, emotional development of about a seven or eight-year-old. And he described to me about the ways in which God used her as a, someone who was weak, someone who was frail. He used her in an amazing way to craft him, grow him, help him see life in such a different way. But He saw how God met her, how God ministered to her, how God delivered her, how God cared for her. All of you may know persons who are in their weakness because of, of, of illness, because of age, because of misfortune, have become persons who are means of blessing. I think of uh, a time when I was ministering in Durham. I was ministering to young adults, uh, mostly uh, men and women in their 20s. And there was a young woman in, in that group. She was a nurse. And she worked in the area, get this, she worked in the area of pediatric oncology. As I say, she regularly worked with with children who were uh, struggling with cancer, leukemia. And it was amazing to see how that experience, her regular ongoing interaction, friendship with, fellowship with, serving of the weak, the weakest of the weak, shaped her in profound ways. It's actually, it's actually uh, just, so what, what David's saying here is it's actually more fortunate for you and for me to be for the frail, to be, to focus and to befriend, to be in the fellowship of the frail, the, frail, the feeble and the forgotten. So that, that's where it's, that's where it really is. That's where we really will truly flourish. And why? Why does he say this? Well, he tells us. He says, "Look at here." He says, he says "If we're for the frail, God will be for us." Look at the second half of verse one. He says, "Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble." This, the verse is saying, "If we're for the frail, God will be for us when we ourselves are frail." And in verses two and three, we learn how God will be for us. He, he will be for us in both strife. And in sickness, look at, let's see, look at verse 2, It's first in strife, that is in the midst of conflict. In verse 2, we read, The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. David saying in strife, God will be a savior, a sustainer, but never a sellout. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. That is to say, he will never betray us. If we indeed are for the frail, if we fellowship among the frail, there's a sense of blessing, of, of good fortune, and that we will, that God will never, he will never betray us. So, so, says David, if we are for the frail, God will be for us first in strife. He'll never give us over the over to desire of our foes, but also in sickness. Look at verse three: The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. What an incredible promise. now how does how does David know all this? How does he know this? How does he know that if we are for the frail, or if, if we're for the feeble and the forgotten, how does he know that God will be for us? Well, Because God was there for him in both sickness and strife. And he's he's going to tell us that. In fact, in verses 4 through 10, he shares with us a prayer, really a prayer report from from a previous time, a time when he in sickness, a time when he in strife had, had called out to God and God had answered him. So again, how does David know this? Because David has experienced it. So here David tells us in these verses, he tells us in gripping detail about how in a time of trouble, in a time of sickness, in a time of strife, that God was for him. So the psalm basically goes like this. Okay, this is kind of summarizes the whole psalm. Fortunate is the one who's for the frail, for God will be for him just as he was for me, says David. So first, David gives us the story, and again, he, he gives us some gripping details here. Look in verse 4. First, he says, God was for me in sickness, in sickness. David said, he, said, um, he writes, I said, I said, or I, I myself had said before, have mercy, or let us be gracious to me, O Lord, heal me, for I have sinned against you. So David recalls a time when he was sick, and he calls out, favor me, forgive me, for I, I, I failed. And here's the thing, gang. We've mentioned this before, actually, in our discussions of James. Here's the thing. So often, when we are weak, we are at our worst. It's when we're frail that we most often fail. And David was no exception. So he says, be gracious to me. Don't, Don't treat me like I deserve I know what I deserve in my sin and my weakness and my frailty. I have the worst that's come out of me. Please, and he seeks God's forgiveness. He seeks God's mercy. So we see God. We see this the sense that David is confident that God is for him, even in his weakness, sickness, and even in his sin. But also, there's there's there's, there's even more going on here as we go on to see here. So David's not only sick. He's not only he needs know he not only needs God to be for him in his sickness. He needs God to be before him in his strife, strife with his foes. Look at verses five through eight. David speaks of his foes. First, his foes want him finished. Look at verse five. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And then his foes, His foes, look at verse six. His foes are fake. They're such frauds. Verse six, when one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander and then he goes out and spreads it around. See, David has David's foes pretend to be friends. They come to see him on his his sickbed. They come to see him in his illness. They're they're nice. They're polite. They're cordial. But they're superficial. They're fake. And what do they do? They come, they speak nice things, but all the while they're gathering, they're gathering evidence, they're gathering so they're, they're, they're on a reconnaissance mission to go out and slander and defame him. So his foes, are they, they want him finished. They're fake. And in the next, uh, we see that his foes, they're, they're, they're pretty. They feel for sure that, that it's all for naught, that, that David has no future. Look at verses 7 and 8. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up. He will never rise from the place where he lies. So they're sure that David's finished. They're sure it's over him. They, he's, he's down for the count. They're convinced of it. They're sure that David's life, especially his sickness, is futile. If you look there in verse 8, it says the NIV translates a vile disease. Literally, it's a thing of worthlessness or a thing of futility. His enemies are saying something is latched onto David and there's no point to it. There's no future in it. It's all for naught. David's enemies are convinced that David's sickness, that David's frailty, that David's current situation is going nowhere. And I don't know how often when you're sick, when you are, um, uh, when you are incapacitated in some way, how often that's what we tend to think. And here David's foes are sure that David's situation is futile. The, the, the idea is that his enemies speak of his disease as something futile, fruitless, and even something dark. There's something sinister in this language of a vile disease, a, a, a thing of worthlessness. It has this idea of there's something sinister and dark at work here, something from from the evil one in some way. And as if things couldn't get any worse than this, David needs God for him in his sickness and also in his strife. Of course, this is strife with his his foes. But here in the next verse, we realize that David needs God to be for him, not in strife with his foes, but in strife with a former friend, or really a fake friend. Look in verse 9. This is so heartbreaking. He says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. That is to say, that's the NIV's paraphrase. of Really the Hebrew, is, has, he says, he has lifted up his heel. It's this notion of David's down, he's on the ground in his sickbed. His friend comes to visit, and what does he do? He kicks David while he's down. And it, this, this, this verse leads to something that is so important for us to hear, something that we, we really know from experience, that it's in our frailty. It's in our feebleness. It's in, it's in those moments of great weakness that we find out who our friends really are. So often it's in, it's in sickness. It's in suffering. It's in failure. That those who we thought we're friends. Avoid us like the plague, right? They, they, they even take advantage of us. And again, it may not be some open hostility. It may be just like David's enemies. It may be polite. It may be nice. It may be cordial. But we realize that in the midst of our weakness, that they're not really for us. They really don't care. In fact, it's in, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I've had friends, p- people around me who, who like, they've been in difficult times and you, you, just, you just want to avoid them. You don't know what to do. You see, when it comes to friends, it's, it's in our frailty that we find out who's fake and who's for real. It's when we're most burdened. It's when we're most broken that we can be most betrayed. In fact, as a minister, I've talked with countless persons who, in the midst of grie- grieving the loss of a loved one, in the midst of their sickness, in the midst of ongoing uh, um, chronic illness, that they realize that often, more often than not, people really don't want to, be- to befriend someone who's hurting, someone who's weak. So again, it's when we're most burdened and broken that we can feel Most betrayed. And that David's describing this very thing. But David insists that in the midst of all the sickness, in the midst of all the strife, that God was in fact for him. He had cried out for God's favor, saying, Raise me up so I can, listen to this, raise me up, verse 10, so I can take them down. Verse 10 says, But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. Of course, as God's anointed, As the Messiah, as God's agent of divine rule, David had the right to act on God's behalf to mete out justice. There's nothing wrong with David's request. He says, I'm going down, but I know that you're going to bring me up. And when I do, it's going to be judgment day. Wow, what a statement by God's anointed. See, David is for sure that his foes won't have the final word. He goes on to say in verse 11, I know that you are pleased with me. I know that you're pleased. Why? He says, um, for my enemies do not triumph over me. He says, my, he says, my, my, my foes aren't yet high-fiving just yet. And David's sure of God's future friendship, God's future fellowship, we see in verse 12, because of my integrity, you will uphold me and set me in your presence forever. So David is confident that God will enable him to be faithful and that God will bring him into fellowship forever. It's a beautiful statement. So again, let's recap here. David is saying, fortunate is the one who's for the frail. Fortunate is the one who is for the frail, for God will be for him just as he was for me. Now listen, there was no one who was more for the frail than Jesus. There was no one who was more for the weak, the poor, than Jesus. In fact, what the NIV translates as weak here in verse 1, uh, blessed are those who are for the weak or who have regard for the weak. Um, this word weak is translated in Greek as abdokos. It means poor. It means weak. It means vulnerable. And it is found throughout the Gospels. Throughout the Gospels. In fact, let's just pick Luke's Gospel here. We see in chapter 4, verse 18, quoting Isaiah, uh, Jesus says that, the, that God has anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor, "dokos," the weak. Again, it's usually translated poor by English translations. Luke 6:20, "Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God." Chapter seven verse 22, uh, Jesus says, to tell, "Tell John the Baptist, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are he- lepers are healed, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor." In chapter 14 of Luke, Jesus says, "Are you giving a banquet? Invite the poor." Again, the, what's translated poor means the weak the frail, the vulnerable. In chapter 14, again, later in verse 21, there's a parable where, Jesus, where, where, the, where the, the, the one in charge, of a, someone's giving a banquet, and, and those invited don't come, and so he tells his servants, go to the alleyways and bring the poor. See, Jesus' ministry was first and foremost a ministry to the weak, the vulnerable, to those who could not care for themselves. And the sign of real transformation, the sign of true Christian, a true Christian follower, is, is that they have begun to move toward those who are, are, are frail and weak. We see this actually in chapter 19 of Luke, where Zacchaeus, a former a, a tax collector, he stands up and as a sign of his, his conversion, he says, Behold, Lord, look, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And of course, it's in chapter 21 that Jesus, during Holy Week, sits down, watches all of uh, those who are bringing various gifts, financial gifts, to the treasury, and he sees a widow giving in a simple, a few copper coins. And Jesus says, do you see this poor widow? She has put more in than all the others. See, no one was more burdened. No one was more bullied or broken than Jesus. And no one served, no one was more for the burdened and bullied than than Jesus. And it was in brokenness, it was in his brokenness that he was betrayed. Again, in John 13, just before his betrayal, he washes his disciples' feet and it's there that John, that we read that in John 13 that, quote, Jesus became very troubled in spirit and testified, truly I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. And he cites Psalm 41, he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. You know, it was precisely as one who was burdened and broken and betrayed that Jesus brought us blessing. When we enter into fellowship with him, when we befriend him, when we consider him in all his frailty, in all his weakness, in all his brokenness, it is there that we find blessing. It is there that we find fellowship, that that we can enter into the presence of God, that by his wounds, we ourselves are healed. And as we look at the life of Jesus, especially in this week, especially as he is there serving his disciples, washing their feet, that we are confronted with the question, will we, will I be for the frail? Will I enter into their brokenness? Will I enter into their burden? Will we, will I myself find friendship and fellowship among the feeble? Let me conclude with this story. may have shared parts of this story with some of you before, but it was when Sarah and I were having, most of you know, Sarah and I just had our fifth and uh, we're so thankful for little Harrison. But when Sarah and I, when Sarah just had our our first two, we had twins, Lydia and Rosemary. Um, Both of them being twins were were premature. And and one of the girls had complications that uh, she had to stay in the neonatal intensive care unit for about three months, uh, the first three months of her life. And it was during that time when, when the, uh, the, the Rosemary was taken home and Sarah was just obviously very busy nursing her that I would be going back and forth between work and home and the hospital to visit Lydia. And it was in those moments that I was with her in the ICU, holding her, singing to her, in those moments of holding a weak uh, little girl that God met me in such beautiful ways. I look back at those times of trial, those times of interacting with Lydia as a little tiny four or five-pound baby, and they are so beautiful to me. They're moments that God used Lydia, this little infant, to be to, to be a, a conduit of his mercy, a conduit of his presence. I can remember accompanying her through multiple procedures that she had to go through. And each and every time, God breaking my heart, bringing me to a place of comfort in his word, of confidence, all through a little girl. I know it may seem so different from what the world has to say, but it is true. We are most fortunate when we are in fellowship with those who are most frail, with those who are most feeble, with those who are most forgotten, and especially with the one who is forsaken. And of course, during this time, this present time of crisis, we we have choices, don't we? There'll be those around us who really are sick, who really are feeble, who are struggling, whether it's from because of job loss, whether it's because they are first responders and they're overwhelmed, whether it's those who themselves are sick with COVID-19. We, what, what will we do? Will we, will we believe that there's real blessing, that there's real flourishing, that there's real good fortune found in entering in and loving and taking that risk, losing control and loving those whom God has called us to love? Jesus, let me close with these words. Jesus said this, blessed are the merciful for they will find mercy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how beautiful it is to know that you are one who delights to be present among the feeble. Father, how beautiful it is to know that when we welcome one of these little ones, one of these vulnerable ones, when we welcome those who are feeble, when we welcome those who are frail, we indeed, are welcoming Jesus himself. And to welcome you, Jesus, is to welcome the Father. Father, I pray that you would give us such a freedom, a confidence in you, that we would would abandon our little plans of self-preservation and self-protection. Father, that we would walk in wisdom, that we would walk in freedom, a freedom that is truly found in following Jesus, following the Lamb wherever he goes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, that you came down, that you did not stay where you were, but you came all the way down into our mess, into our misery, into our heartache, into our frailty, taking it upon yourself, carrying our diseases, carrying our, our mis- misfortunes. Lord Jesus, there's no one like you. And on, on this Good Friday, we hail you as Lord you were weak, you were frail, but now you stand in glory, in might, in power, in peace. Thank you. Give us your. Give us your agenda. May may our will become. May your will become our will. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.